Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, a Rotodama special edition. Hello, I'm Alan, and yes, it's another short interview special edition, so it's only me from this end. Uh, this time, we are not talking about multi-million pound carbon fiber GT cars uh, made to your every whim. Uh, we're talking about something a little bit more agricultural and certainly more uh, down-to-earth, in fact, possibly quite dirty, really. Um, so without any more waffle of introduction, uh, let's head straight on to my chat with Thomas Cowley from Rotodama. Thomas Cowley from Rotodama, thank you so much for joining me. Hello. Do you want to take a couple of minutes to introduce yourself and um, tell us what you're all about and what Rotodama is all about? And uh... So, um, Thomas Cowley, based on the Isle of Wight, um, started Rotodama about four years ago with three other friends, hence the name, which is Rob, Tom, Dan and Mark, hence Rotodama. Um, because we needed something that would actually work that no one had used before. And there it is. Um, and we have been working on a um, Ford control conversion for Land Rover Discoveries for that time, um, which has been a fascinating journey in a very bootstrappy and non-funded trying to make something to do with vehicles kind of way. Right. Let's, let's start. I mean, you said... Uh... It's four of you got together and came up with a project. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the reason Ro, Rob, is at the front of it is that it's Rob's idea. Um, so the one thing we have all in common between the four of us, uh, there's a couple of things really. One is agriculture or a vague interest in agriculture. Um, and the other one is um, that we all have done four by four trialing. And that's really how we know each other because we have crashed about in the undergrowth um, trying to uh, get through 10 pairs of gates on a regular basis. So motorsport brought us together, the lowest possible level of motorsport. And uh, this project grew out of the relationship that we uh, got together from there, really. So why forward control? Because surely every time, when, well, whenever I've seen trials cars, or trials, not trials cars, trials off-roaders, um, then the idea is to be compact, and it always seems to have the driver and the passenger right in the middle. So why did you then decide, instead of engineering something like that... seems an odd thing, um, and the thing is, Mark, Danny, and I had just very successfully made a trailer, um, not entirely from scratch, but a lot of the stuff from scratch. So we got into tube bending and making stuff that was fun. Um, and the project had been really successful. And then I was um, seeing Rob for something completely unrelated to do with gardening. And I said, oh, you've got a discovery in the corner of the garden there. What are you doing with that? Because I could do with some spares for this ridiculous vehicle we've just built. Uh, and he said, oh, I've got a really good idea and reached in and turned off the car, at which point I knew I was in trouble. Um, and he said, 10 years ago, I thought it'd be really good if you could take the body off a of discovery and make it into like a Ford controlled truck like the Llama. And now, have you ever heard of the Llama, the Land Rover Llama? Yes, I have. Uh, so the Llama was... Great interest here. It, it's, yeah, <laughs> sorry. So the was the Llama not the really quite modern looking Land Rover yeah. prototype that there no, was that was meant to go to the MOD. Yeah, that's right. 1980s, they they did a tender for the one-ton vehicle and failed to get it. Mm -hmm. It went to Pinsgauer instead. 
So there are these amazing vehicles clattering about at Gaydon still, and they are absolutely amazing and incredibly useful looking. And Rob said, well, it'd be really cool because if you could just take the body off and put a forward control cab on it, then you'd have a massive load bed. And I said, why have you sat on this for 10 years and not mentioned it to me? He said, well, I didn't think anyone would take it seriously. I said, no, this is a great idea. So um, we actually pulled that discovery out of the undergrowth, dragged it back to my workshop uh, on a farm. And I said to the other guys, look, Rob's had this idea. I think this has got commercial potential because there are so many discoveries out there on which the bodies rot out, but the chassis underneath is basically a Range Rover chassis. It's an mm -hmm. amazing, great design, very, very long life. Um, and generally, the chassis are fine. But the problem is discoveries as a complete vehicle have virtually no value. People throw them away because they're rusted out in the body and it's too yeah. expensive to repair the body. So if you took the body off and put a cab on the front and then a load bed on the back, all of a sudden you've got a vehicle which is probably going to have a half-decent payload and will go anywhere that a Discovery or a Range Rover will go. And somebody so, else has done all the hard engineering and somebody else is doing all the parts um, availability, yeah, part, generally, of stuff that will break. Yeah, well, so well proven, the mechanics uh, of, of the vehicle. Parts, super cheap, great aftermarket support so people can tweak it however they want as well. Um, and just a fantastic base vehicle. And what, the interesting thing is that one of the things that Land Rover used to be very proud of is the number of their original vehicles which were still on the road. Mm -hmm. And the discovery to me looked like a, a real weak point in the chain at that point because it's something which there's a massive rate of attrition on. So if we could all of a sudden get those vehicles back in circulation, turn them from sport utility vehicles to super utility vehicles, um, then that'd be great. So this was something which we all four of us immediately saw the potential because um, so I live, live, live on and around a farm. Um, Danny is an agricultural engineer. Mark grew up on farms and mm -hmm. does a lot of four by four stuff. And Rob had the idea and, um, you know, obviously saw the merit in it. So we thought, okay, well, let's prove this. So we spent the first three months of our spare time stripping the discovery down and then building a very quick cab to put on it to say, okay, well, do the human ergonomics of this work because the discoveries have very tall suspension turrets at the front. And we were yeah. looking at thinking, well, does that mean people are going to be too high up? Will it be completely horrifically unbalanced when you just put a cab right on the top? Um, so we built this cab and bolted it on the chassis. And um, probably one of the funniest moments is actually Danny having the first test drive. And he'd been determined that this is something that would do an endo. So tanked across the yard and hauled on the anchors, expecting this thing to nosedive into the ground at the front. And it was absolutely stable and perfectly fine. So we thought, okay, this really works. This is a good idea let's get busy making something that isn't just thrown together to prove the concept let's make something that we can make repeatably so that first so just sorry to interrupt that first prototype so i've had a virtual tour of of the 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 surroundings graveyard. the graveyard yeah um and so that first vehicle is the one you showed me that was the first um nfg prototype was it yes Indeed, yeah. The alpha, as it's mm -hmm. been described internally. Um, so we thought, right, let's move on to actually kind of doing some design work and looking at how we might make this thing repeatable. So we then spent the next two years redesigning it properly and making sure that we could make it easily from mostly stock steel. 
uh, and make it road legal. Um, and one of the challenges there that everyone has said is, well, surely you need to re-register that. That must go on a queue plate or need IVA. But I spent a lot of time on the phone to the DVLA um, bottoming that out. And you may be aware there's a point system for IVA, um, individual vehicle approval. And that yeah. relies on sh body on chassis vehicles. If you leave the chassis completely untouched, the engine and gearbox completely untouched, and the axles, then you retain all of the points of the vehicle because the DVLA basically considers the body on a discovery to be trim. Mm -hmm. So you can change it, which was the most astonishing thing to come out of it. You All you need to do is just re-MOT the vehicle once it's converted, change the color maybe, um, and the number of seats if you wish, uh, and there you are. You have a road le legal vehicle. So all the way through the project, the um, discipline has been we may not touch the chassis yeah. because that way we know that it's something which is going to be so easy for people to get on the road. Um, so it's, it, it puts us in the position where literally you can unbolt a body on a discovery and certainly between the four of us, we've got that down to about two hours uh, and then bolt on a cab. Um, and it really is just bolts and then you're always going to find something like the accelerator cable, which you check the tensile strength of when you're lifting the body off um and then away you go bolt on the cab and well with some minor tweaks uh and and you have a vehicle which is 500 kilos lighter than the original discovery goes very very well has a super low center of gravity and has all of the off-road capabilities of the discovery if not slightly more because the overhangs will be a little bit shorter at the back and stuff i'm sure or the Correct. approach Correct. departure angles will be a bit bit steeper yeah. anyway and we we had a moment because mark has we had a couple of suffix a range rovers um and he now has one suffix a range rover and he was following us across the farm in the middle of winter with the uh, original prototype and the prototype just floats over stuff whereas we wound up winching him downhill to get him out of one of the fields because that extra 500 kilos on similar sized wheels and tires just you have so much extra flotation losing mm -hmm. that weight and this was something we were gobsmacked at how much more capable it was, actually. So, I mean, it really does sound like if I had a grinder, my Halfords professional socket set, uh, and a discovery on my drive, goodness help me, then it, it sounds like you spend more time probably tidying up the chassis and giving it a lick of paint whilst it's exposed than you do actually doing engineering to do the conversion, really. Absolutely. It's been designed to bolt on the existing body mounts. So it is just the front body mounts of the Discovery, which are very, very strong. Um, you bolt the cab to it uh, and then hook up all of the ancillaries and the various things that were required to make it work. Mm -hmm. So it is a simple conversion. And we wanted to make something that wasn't going to be like a conventional kit car where people have to spend months and months making that thing because this is something which is a commercial vehicle. This is something which people can use in their work. It's not a, if you like, discretionary purchase. The people who yeah. we see this aimed at are farmers, tree surgeons, people in quarries, people who just need a rough service vehicle that's super tough. The thing that interested me from what you said earlier on was about making it manufacturable and repeatable. Mm -hmm. um, what... That sounds a lot harder than just sort of fudging each one as it comes along. So why, I guess you you understood that and that's why you did it right from the start. But Absolutely. 
what did you learn? How much harder did that actually make your your job as as you were trying to engineer this? One of the things that Danny said again and again is that if we were just making one vehicle, this would be cakewalk. We could have done this like 18 months, two years ago. But because we are trying to think through everything and make the components that we need to do the conversion so they are easy to make and so that they fit together well and so that the stuff that we reuse out of the discovery definitely fits, it has been really backbreaking to kind of have that discipline and have that mentality towards it. And the four of us have learned an awful lot from doing that because it's a completely different discipline to doing a project car, to doing uh, a, a project binky maybe. Yes. Um, because this is not one off. This is make it easy to make, make it repeatable, make it accurate. So one of the things that took us quite some time to do was actually building the jigs to make the frames so the frames were repeatable and mm -hmm. the two that we have most recently made are down below two millimeter accuracy across the whole thing and because we're working with stock steel as well you start to learn the limitations of materials so mm -hmm. you would have thought for instance box metal um, is square or rectangular it's not it has rolled edges it has sags it has all sorts of properties that you don't normally consider but if you are going to do something again and again it's stuff like okay we always put the seam on this side we always orient it like this if we don't then it doesn't work and to get to that accuracy to build the jigs that are needed to do something again and again even with manual bending of the tubes again you need to be super accurate with that. So we've had to learn how to measure the tubes up, learn where, where the, the, the mechanics of the bender. And one of the daftest things that we made was actually something to rotate a tube bender through 90 degrees so you could actually get the second side of the hoop bent with the same sweep of the bend as the first side, because otherwise you need to lift it up by about six foot. Whereas if you actually turn it, you can put the thing put the tube back in and do the second uh -huh. bend the same yes bend so it's learning stuff like that but that's really just the basics the the big challenges if you like the the bits we have really to think about was stuff like doors how do you make mm -hmm. doors repeatedly and easily how do you manage um the the space budget for stuff like the heater the pedal box where do you put the servo all of that stuff takes so much thought and we actually engaged with um, Innovate UK back at the start of the project and used that funding to work with Ralph Hosier, who is fantastic, to actually mm -hmm. look at, okay, what would we need to consider for that productionization? And Ralph came up with a shopping list that was so useful just to understand how, what we might address, whether it was a viable project in his opinion, whether there was a market for it as well. So we took all that away and kind of used that as a bit of a springboard to shape our thinking on how we actually developed the project how we looked at making it and how we were putting ourselves in a position where this is something repeatable and all the way down the line this has been completely unfunded this is from our own incomes that we've funded this. i was so, i was going to say this has been a, a little bit uh, like a certain podcast that, that that i might be involved in um it's 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 an advanced hobby as opposed to anything else, isn't it? It's it's not actually. Yes, it's the not term a proper job. Strapping springs readily to mind. It's all spare time. It's all been done on minimum possible budget, which has 
you know, they say necessity is the mother of invention. Well, innovation, mm. I think, is probably a better description in this term because we've had to look at how we can do things without those massive investments, without the sort of investments that other people might be able to get to put into door manufacture, for instance. So our hinges, you know, how, how are we going to do hinges on a tube frame which is an unusual way to make a vehicle, uh, you know, in bulk. Mm -hmm. um, and how do we use the least space possible? Because you've got someone's ankle down there at the bottom of the door, and then you've got the dashboard at the top. And we actually spent probably a whole weekend shaping. I, I, I said, this has to work as a swan neck hinge. And then we spent the, the two days of a weekend, three of us thrashing through this to figure out what the shape was in the metal that would actually be most compact, that would fit most neatly, and that would work as a durable hinge. And we actually found a fantastic swan neck shape, which is on the, uh, the road going prototype, which works a charm and is basically just strip metal um, bent and then tempered, which over two years of having that vehicle on the road has proved itself to be really, really durable. Mm -hmm. And then going from that into the doors, you need light doors, but you also need strong doors. So we got from the, the box, which I described earlier, the, the heavy, heavier duty box that we use for the frame into ERW box, which is only 1.2 mil wall, very, very lightweight, very easy to work with, much more consistent as a product. And it was exploring this new material that we hadn't used before. Um, to make the door frame, which again has worked really, really well, and then saying, okay, well, how do you fit a skin to it? And one of the things that, so I, I have had various objectives, including obviously the we don't touch the chassis all the way through the pr project. And the other one was we don't want any visible external fixings because they're ugly, because they're nasty. So we've tried to avoid that as much as possible, which may sound ironic to anyone who actually looks at the Delta prototype we have on the road, because it's not attractive um, and there's reasons for that, but uh, uh, we can cover that in a minute. But to, to avoid those fixings, we were then into exploring different types of adhesive and you know, whether Sikaflex would work, whether the door mm -hmm. skins would actually be durable enough when you stuck them using no mechanical fixings, only using bonding. And they were, and they've been fantastic. And yeah. we've learned so much from doing that. So that was another point at which we looked at it and when this you know this has been an incredible learning experience to be able to do this thing practically and look at how we can actually jig up the doors and do the doors repeatedly and then you also start to learn about and this is going to sound daft virtually every other material is quite pliable and is easy to work and easy to manage glass on the other hand just does not give in any way shape or form um and so all of a sudden you find a couple of mil in a door frame is not good enough because that will stop the glass moving because we wanted sliding windows because they're easy because you're a forward control vehicle so you can't have windows that go all the way down into the door mm -hmm. and because with space constraint because we want to keep it as narrow as possible because it's an off-road vehicle we haven't got space for big doors so we've gone with very thin doors but very strong because of the box that's used on them and again it's worked fantastically but the, the thing that we learned, which was an absolute killer from the uh, the second prototype, is you've got to get those doors absolutely 100% square, or the windows won't slide is, as well as they should. Isn't that always the challenge that manufacturers of of you know small British sports cars have? Is stuff like the the doors? They're notoriously difficult. Yeah, they absolutely are, and it, it's something we spent a lot of time on. The, uh, probably the only other thing that we spent more time on was actually the pedal box. 
And hmm. when we were talking to Ralph, he said, oh, you need to go down to the scrapyard and have a rummage around, find a pedal box that fits. And so I did spend some time in the scrapyard and I did spend some time looking for the, the God pedal box, if you like. The problem is that where we are doing this in quite an unusual format, the, the, the forward control format, there was just nothing available. So in the end, we wound up making our own pedal box. And then you've got to make sure all of the ergonomics work. So I talked about space budget. The other hmm. thing, which is a real killer, is making the ergonomics work. And one of the things that we need to change from the original prototype to the ones that we're currently building at the moment is reducing the seat height slightly. Because you spend long enough in that prototype, and I have driven it around quite a lot of the UK, and you find your heel rises up off the floor on the accelerator because it's just slightly too long. And again, learning these sorts of things as people who aren't professional um, automotive engineers, um, you start to learn all sorts about the human fit around that. And aside from that slightly too long thing, the only other thing we got wrong was the windscreen. And certainly on the photos on the website for Rotodama, you will find it has top mounted wipers because top mounted wipers are cool. And we wanted top mounted wipers. <laughs> Unless you have a really tall cab, they do not work because you basically can't see further enough down the road to make a happy seating position. So in the end, we actually cut the windscreen surround the top of it out, reshaped the corners of the windscreen so they were curved and refitted that. And all of a sudden, it just it became obvious that we should have done that pretty much as soon as I'd rolled down the road for the first time. It, it, the, the driving position was absolutely transformed. It's funny how it's stuff like that, isn't it? It really is. And it's just the little things which you think there's a problem with you know part a and it turns out that actually that wasn't the root of the issue and once you solve the root everything else just kind of slots into place but again this sort of thing you only start learning when you are driving the vehicle in life and that's why having had the prototype on the road for two years we've learned so much from it and when we actually um took it and did a sort of soft launch at um bista heritage the land rover mm -hmm. show there we thought right We've not said anything about this to anyone. For the two years we were doing development, it was like, okay, no one says anything. We're just doing this. We're just going to turn up with this. And we managed to do that and actually turned up to Vista with this thing. And a guy who was about six foot eight turned up, was incredibly enthusiastic about the full control thing and got in it and was still absolutely loving it because there's so much more space than in a 101. And he said, this is incredible. I need one of these. Oh, it's brilliant. Uh, and Afterwards, I thought to myself, it's just as well the guy didn't drive it because he would have all of a sudden realized he was craning his neck. But now we've moved the windscreen up, no one's going to crane their neck, and there is a lot of space. Because we're all rangy guys, so we had to make sure that we fitted in it. There's none of us under six foot. Mm -hmm. So it had to be something that tall people could get in. Danny particularly has a very long body, so we needed to make sure the cab was tall enough for him. Um, and, uh, yeah, so uh, lessons learned again. Um, yeah. And just going back to that business show, um, one of the things which has been super instructive was when we went there and it really rammed home just how powerful matching up different skills in very different people can be on a project like this. Because we must have probably had five or six people come to us over the two days of that event and say, do you know what? This is such a good idea. I've tried doing this. I've actually built, half built something, but I got to the point where I couldn't do it because I didn't have the skills. And because we had a guy who's very, very good with wood, so we can make GRP molds, we have a guy who's very good with auto, automotive electrics, 
So we're mm-hmm. able to get over that bridge. We have two welders on the team and we have someone who can actually do a bit of PR type kind of stuff, which winds up being me and business plans and stuff. So we can actually make this a real credible thing. Mm-hmm. We've got to the point that we've managed to get to and we haven't got to market yet, but just that matrix of skills meant that we were in a position to succeed where so many people had failed to even get a vehicle on the road before. Yeah, it's so important in any sort of product team to have to have that balance. If everybody's awesome at welding, that's great. Your welds will be wonderful. But you know, you you will hit these the, the these skill blocks. You said earlier on about Innovate UK and I'm curious because I like manufacturing and I like engineering and stuff like that. As a a fledgling sort of manufacturing company organization, um, how much help how much help have you actually been able to get from you know central government, local government, any of the agencies that that spin around that? Is there help out there, and is it accessible? Well, two answers to two questions. Sorry, um, yes, there's help. And um, no, it's not very accessible. So what we've found through this is that, and this has been the biggest stumbling block, and and the last thing that we're yet to try is crowdfunding this, um, which has its own challenges, which Hmm. we should probably come back to in a moment. But manufacturing advisory services is something I was aware of from previously. Unfortunately, that was closed down by the government in uh, 20 in the last 10 years Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's gone that's not a thing anymore and I think in terms of industrial strategy that has massively weakened the UK because we have a fantastic heritage in terms of very innovative manufactured products and I absolutely agree when when people say well we can't just make stuff in the UK because that's what the likes of China do well for commodity stuff and large volume stuff absolutely but for the niche the innovative, the unusual stuff, it absolutely should be manufactured in the UK. And the lack of the manufacturing advisory service is, it, it pains me, it has pained me throughout the project. Um, Innovate UK are reasonably easy to contact. Um, they're a little bit impenetrable in terms of telephone support, but they have regular competitions which are funded from various different sources, which we managed to get the funding to engage with Ralph from. Um, so that does work. And those still are ongoing. And if you look up Innovate UK, you can find them. Um, local Enterprise Partnership, Snowden LEP is our local enterprise partnership. There are mm-hmm. funding rounds for that sort of thing. And if I'm honest, I think if we were developing an app, we'd probably get to funded this about four or five times. But because we are doing something which is manufacturing, which is capital intensive, which is all about producing a product rather than intellectual property, we really struggle with it. And that's not just in the public sector, that's also in private sector. Because venture capital firms, even the automotive ones, are generally looking for what might be referred to as the next Google, the next Microsoft. And There are so many firms out there, I think, who might be able to manufacture something which, and having done the sums on this and having done the budgets, we are confident we'll turn a good good profit and be able to pay back shareholders. But because people are looking for really high returns from Mm. their venture capital, they're not interested in it. So we have tried again and again to get funding for this because we see it not only as a solution for UK market for discovery, but for any vehicle with two chassis rails and a body on it, if you can unbolt that body, 
then you can put a forward control cab on it. Anything like the big pickup trucks in America, all of that stuff, you can put a forward control body on it. And because the chassis rails are generally about the same distance apart and the vehicle dimensions are very, very similar, this is a hugely transferable project. This is something which genuinely should have um, global potential, especially when you look at initiatives like the Circular Economy, which is Ellen MacArthur Foundation, uh, where they are looking to keep things in circulation for longer. And taking the discoveries as an example, this is a prime example where the, the... energy and development intensive elements are the axles are the engine are the gearbox are the chassis the rest of it although there's quite a lot of money spent in development they're relatively low energy intensity to deliver those things Mm -hmm. and if you can keep the heavier elements of that vehicle in circulation for maybe twice as long as the original vehicle might have been kept on the road then it hugely reduces the carbon footprint of that vehicle and that's something which has been really front of mind and we thought people would be really interested in and and actually take to but i think at the moment that sort of element is more interested in one of the halo products was um, making belts out of old fire hoses it has to be lighter weight simple more easy for people to grasp whereas taking a vehicle and remaking it into a different sort of vehicle i think is a step too far for a lot of people but flip side to that is the people who are interested in the vehicle, the people who we have had inquiries for the vehicle from, they absolutely get it and they absolutely understand that it is a vehicle which is a working vehicle and for their use case is absolutely nailed on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely perfect for that. And, you know, you leave lots of space for many different use cases. It's not as if you can only have one body style. It's 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 one control area and and space for whatever body style that people want, need, desire. Well, the interesting thing about it is that we've probably put all of our efforts into making the cabs at the moment, and that's because there is so much human interaction in there, all the controls in there. Hmm. But the actual tube frame concept that we're that we've worked with all the way down the line because it's something to that's simple to manufacture, it's relatively easy to manufacture, it uses stock steel to manufacture, it's light. Um, is something which really lends itself very well to people carriers. Um, gun buses is something which we see as probably a likely market, which is up on estates and such like where they yeah. take people out shooting, which is sounds niche, but again, it, it needs to be relatively it's, low volume to justify it. It's far less niche than people actually believe it to be. If, if yeah. you live down here in Northamptonshire, then you think that's very niche. If you live where I'm actually from in Perthshire, it's not that niche at all, really. No, not at all. And the other thing is, as soon as you've built a full tube frame body, then you have something which can be canvas coated, you have something that can be panelled in, which can be a van, a camper for overland camping as well, mm-hmm. or a people carrier. All of a sudden, you have something which is incredibly flexible and, and easy to find new uses for. And certainly, my background, vehicular, is um, coming from Volkswagen campers and four-wheel drive ones particularly and having spent a lot of time off-roading the 1980s type 25 was one of the reasons that made me go the full control concept is fantastic because of the space that it liberates for a camper and one of the vehicles which is on the wish list to build is an overland camper um and just i want to just go back to the panels because one of the things which um we've actually generated unique ip for and got Mm -hmm. a registered design is the panels on the vehicle because there's this challenge of 
how do you clad a tube frame vehicle? And the, the place you come across this sort of vehicle a lot actually is off-road racing, um, where the likes of Bowler have made tube frame vehicles and then made a shell to go over it. Mm-hmm. And at its most basic, there's, there's a friend of mine who does comp safari racing, and the thing that goes on the back of his Bowler-esque vehicle, I've described very rudely as a pig shed. Um, and I didn't want to have <laughs> a pig shed going over this tube frame. I, I know exactly what you mean, though. I, yeah. I know why you're calling that, and, and yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So, so the other thing is that obviously, if we exposed the tubes, that meant that it was a vehicle that you could take into woodland, you could beat off trees because you're dealing with three mil thick, um, what's called blue band tubing, which is specified for off-road vehicles for a competition use, uh-huh. um, and it's incredibly resilient. It springs back very well, and it means that if you drive your vehicle into a tree you're not smashing up the panels. So we came up with this concept of inset panels um, <laughs> and, and then work through how we could actually make this work. And um, this it, it, it's one of my things again. The other guys have, have brought so much to this, but it's one of those mental things where I've said, this must work. This We must be able to make it work. And if you put an eighth of a return of the diameter of the tube that the panel is going into around the edge of the panel, uh-huh. stick with me. No, um, no, I'm, I'm with you. Then you can actually you, you create, create a panel that pops in and only needs a thin bead, bead of sealant around the outside to make it weather tight and to make it basically self-retaining and sit in from those tubes. So a lot of the prototype that we've had on the road is actually clad in these panels. And that is a registered design out of the back of the work that we've done here for these panels, which are by default self-protecting, mm-hmm. easy to replace because you can just run a cheese wire around them if you do smash them up. And very cheap and easy to make as well. Amazing. Awesome stuff. You see, I love that kind of thing. And that's why I feel that, that, that yeah, innovation is, is, is so cool. And it doesn't always come from big, shiny buildings in Silicon Valley or any of these things. No, that, that's, that's awesomely cool. What's, what's next for the, for the project? Where are you, you know, I assume that until until there's there's funding there's you guys are in a position to keep on going then then it's it's slightly on hold but where would you be keen well, to go next I think is after what I'm trying to ask. spending over three years of virtually all of my spare time on this um, there there had to come a point where my wife said. We, we, we need to do these other things that are on the radar. Um, so we are doing those other things that are on the radar at the moment. Um, so there's been less activity in the last six months, hmm. uh, especially with lockdown, than there has through most of the project. But we're to the point where we have frame jigs. We have the start of door jigs so we can create the doors. We've got a lot of ideas that we need to crystallize for the interior. So there are... And when I put this together as um, a pitch deck for investors to look at, I think we probably have two of us working full time for about three months and we will actually have a cab that can be produced with all of the required bits and bobs that a cab needs to go out the door with mm-hmm. as a kit to be fitted to stuff. So we're not far away. It's just a matter of if you have a job in the really real world and you have other stuff going on as well, you've got to prioritize stuff. And at the moment, yeah. this is something which is, it's not altogether in stasis because apart from anything, um, one of the other guys who is an agricultural engineer wants one of these vehicles as a work vehicle because um, 
So three of us are on the Isle of Wight. Danny is in Roston Y. I actually said to him, look, take it away. Go and live with it for a couple of months and see what you think to it. Because I'd spent a lot of time crashing about in this thing and thought it was brilliant. And it was only when, cause, although we've all gone, this is a great idea. Some of us have been more skeptical about it than others. Um, and Danny was still a bit skeptical about this daft vehicle. And I sent it away with him for, I think, two months. Um, and he used it as a work vehicle and just came back going, we just have to do this because it is such a great idea. Um, so at the moment, things are a bit in stasis, mm -hmm. but we're very keen to get it back out of stasis because we know the cab doesn't just fit on Series 1 discoveries, which there is has been over the past four years, an astonishing rate of attrition, according mm -hmm. to HowManyLeft.com. Um, it fits on the Series 2 as well. The bigger challenge there is the electronics, but we have a guy who's very good with electronics, so that's not a big fear for us. And you get more performance and a bit more weight-carrying ability and all sorts of nice stuff with that. Um, so we are keen to keep it moving. At the moment, we're doing no promotion. I get about an inquiry, serious inquiry from someone. I do this thing. I need this for my business. About every 10 days, two weeks, I get one of those. And I have to say, look, please keep an eye on things. We are trying to work towards production, but at the moment, things are moving a bit slowly. So, you know, we, we created various social media channels for this and put some content on there. And we still do from time to time, just, you know, pointing out that the prototype does work really, really well. Um, but it, it's had to go on the back burner, really. Mm -hmm. um, and we would love to get it back off the back burner. And I think given the interesting times that we live in um there's a possibility there will be more support for manufacturing in the next couple of years and uh, you know we are in a position where we are ready to go at short notice and we would love to be producing these things mm -hmm. because when you look at the market for this what what are the competitors the competitors are well maybe the ineos grenadier whenever that surfaces um because it's supposed to be true utility and the other thing which is really hugely competitive is the side-by-side um, -side ATV market, which comes in at distinctly more expensive than a cab for a Discovery. We go three times as fast top speed. We carry three, three times the weight in the back of it. We can tow three times as much at least as one of those. It's an altogether more livable mm -hmm. vehicle, although we don't have the convenient low height step through of the, those side-by-sides. Uh, so that's our key competition and i think that there is the opportunity here for a british built competitor where there is no british built competitor in that space and to provide a vehicle which is super utility incredibly durable as well i mean the only thing we've had with the cab in the past two years of thrashing it like crazy have been a few minor mechanical failures from the base vehicle remains which we paid i think 184 pounds for that particular vehicle <laughs> so yes that's uh, that sounds like an ebay bid if nothing else yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. If... Uh, the, the other thing sorry before before we kind of move on from where do we see this going is that the, the american market i've had so many inquiries from and i've said to people well i can only do this if i can send you a 20-foot shipping container with four cabs in and people have just gone yes and you have to ask yourself, well, why is that? Well, working on the discovery base, not working on Jeep for control or anything like that, mm. which people have also said, well, if you can make this fit a Jeep, then it will sell like hotcakes. The reason for that is Americans love pickups. Do you know how many pickups Land Rover have exported to the USA? Absolutely none, I would imagine, is the answer. 
Correct. So there are a lot of people in America who have been infected with the Land Rover virus, and you know it can be considered a bit of a virus, um, who are Americans, want pickups, can't get them in a Land Rover flavor. And so we actually had one guy turn up and ask for a test drive um, about a year ago, and I let him drive the truck around the farm. Uh, and he was just blown away with it because he's like, this is Land Rover. It's got all of the ride and handling of a Land Rover, but better. And it's got a massive load bed. I, you know, th these guys want pickups with a Land Rover badge, basically, and they can't get them. It's been a fantastic chat. And I I've learned so much. If people do want to be one of these people who gets in touch with you just about every 10 days, or if they can do something to help, then what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? So I am thomas.cowley at rotodharma.co.uk. Alternatively, we have a Facebook page. Um, just look up Rotodharma. And we're on Twitter as well. So direct message me on Twitter, feel free, or message us on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Or I think there's also a contact form that works on the website as well. So there are multiple options for people to get in contact. Cool. I'll make sure there are links to those uh, in the show notes uh, as, as well so, so that people so can much. easily get in touch. Uh, Thomas, thanks so much for your time. Um, yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you for entertaining what for a lot of people would be a very niche subject. It's been great to be on and speaking to you. Thank you. Thanks one final time to Thomas for his time. Uh, I think it is a really interesting project and concept uh, that they've got going on there. And uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to drive the prototype at some point. Uh, as promised, I've put the website and Twitter handles and Facebook pages in the show notes so you can like follow and find out more uh, from there that's all for this time but don't forget between now and the next time you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at motoring podcast on twitter and instagram on facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities please don't forget to leave a review and rating on apple podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing uh, to get in touch with me, it's best to use Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-E-D-L-E-Y. And to get in touch with Andrew, search for Cracked Windscreen on Twitter. We'll be back before very long. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley, and safe motoring.